Lion face? Lemming face. Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, my Mr. Meisner himself, the great actor over here. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up? That's right. My acting, uh, I've been in two music videos. Who's putting me in films? Come on. I'm ready. I see you looking at me. I see you I'm ready to me knowing Benny, you're knowing making a film. I haven't gotten a call about being in it yet. You got a henchman or something for oh, me? Oh, maybe. On. How about how about a cop? Fine. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Got... Fine. I love it. But I've what's met up a lot with of you, cops. Dude? Yeah, no. <laughs> I think 100%. I know how to play it. I don't. You're not allowed to have this hair as a oh deep undercover, perhaps. Oh, maybe. Perhaps like Serpico. Well, NYPD Blue Act. Yeah, there we go. There we uh, go. What's going on with you, though? How is the holiday season treating you in the Horowitz household? Love it. Frantic. Crazy. My lucky kids get Hanukkah and Christmas. So as usual, Hanukkah Harry had a lot of fun. I took care of all of it. And then I look up and I'm like, oh, fuck. Christmas. It's like three days away. Yeah. God damn it. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot. Um, but I think now that I've like... When I first did remember, like when I first met my then girlfriend and wife and started doing this stuff, it's the first time in my life I've done Christmas. Yeah. Woken up, fucking tree, the presents, you know, three or four days of family just doing a whole bunch of shit. I didn't know anything about this. So I think it took me a minute to get used to. Now I know what's coming, mentally prepared, ready to go, gonna enjoy the food. And just have a nice time with it. How's yours going? You good? It's going good. By the way, I, I saw that your wife post posted you making the latkes last. Ah, week. Aunt Sadie's latkes. I make them every year. You a you a applesauce guy on that front? You know what? I'm fucking crazy, dude. I do both. <laughs> oh, give me oh, the cream. Give me not nasty. together. Not together. Oh. Like yeah. two, four latkes. Give me yeah. two sour creams. Two applesauce. Why you got to choose one? You know. I know. I went, well, I went and read the book to a class full of little white kids. It was fun. <laughs> well, the great thing about this podcast is you don't have to choose just one. And, and that happens right. each and every week when we do This Day in Music History. <laughs> what do you got going on? It's today? A very nice one. Very nice seg, my friend. In this day in 1958, the Chipmunks, the Chipmunks song hits number one on the Hot 100 list. Okay, now this may seem insignificant, but I'm going to ask you the question: What is the last Christmas song to ever top the top 100 charts? Doesn't happen every year. The last Christmas song ever top, isn't it? Like rocking around the Christmas tree, because I, I think Brenda Lee gets that money every single year. Well, this is why I tease you off for this. The last one was 1958, the Chipmunk song. That can't be. There has not been a number one Christmas song since the Chipmunks chopped, uh, topped the charts. They are still there. They are wow. still the reigning champions of number one Christmas songs is the Chipmunks. You're meaning to you like tell that? me Mar Mariah never got to number one. I was, I was surprised, too. I think maybe, you know, maybe this is a credit to the fact that, like, from 1958 to when Mariah did it, what are we talking? 2000s or something? Yeah. Like, I think there was probably a lot more charts. Mm -hmm. Ah, is this the thing? Was there holiday charts by then? Mm, maybe. Like, is there a separate holiday chart? So, you know, I don't know how much is this. Is sort of the Chipmunks a paper champion? Is what you're telling me? Maybe. And I'm also <laughs> not sure how true the facts you just brought me are because my this day in music history on this day in 2019, Mariah Carey topped the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, which may be different than the chart that you're talking about. With all I want for Christmas is you. Wow. For the for the first time, took uh, 25 years after the first release from Mariah to go number one on the Hot 100 charts. Uh, with estimated sales of over 60 million copies, All I Want for Christmas is You is a what? best-selling holiday song by a female artist, uh, which I don't know. I, I, I guess the Chipmunks, male artists, female artists, <laughs> non-binary artists. I'm not sure where we're going here. Chipmunks, yeah, non-binary. Um, no, this is weird. So, Denny, I think what we're learning is is something really critical to know. The internet 
is sometimes wrong. <laughs> so listen, or, tune, tune up guess. Yeah. I have a thing right here on the internet that says the chipmunk song hits number one on the hot 100. The last Christmas song to ever top the chart. It would be the last Christmas song to hit number one in the U S and remarkably it stays at the top of the chart for three more weeks. Well into January. So we have countering information. Tune up audience. Please let us know. Do some deep, they may start a fucking Reddit thread or whatever you people do out there. Let's get to the bottom of this, you know? Or this is just great misinformation by Universal because I'm pretty sure they released both songs and they just had a stranglehold on Christmas for 50. They just want the tune up talking about it. Yeah. That's it. That's get right. the conversation going. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, and, and this is to tease something coming up later in the show. Yeah. If you want the tune up to talk about something, give us a, a Jake Gyllenhaal Roadhouse teaser oh. a few days before christmas oh but on. you know it was a real tease benny no this entire yamamoto oh, situation God. with the new york yankees Gracious. and we gotta get into this because overnight coming into this friday uh japanese star yosha nobu yamamoto and the los angeles dodgers okay. are in a, got into agreement <laughs> on a 12-year 325 million dollar contract uh this was told the espn on thursday ending frenzied speculation uh now, you may be thinking, didn't the Dodgers just go out and get o- Otani and deferred a bunch of money? You got that right. But Yamamoto's deal is straight up $56 million uh, signing fee plus his annual salary. No deferred money on the Yamamoto deal, but uh, no doubt that the Otani deferring his money uh, was why that the Dodgers were able to do this. So just initial thoughts on fit, and then we'll get into the rest of the stuff. <sighs> this was a tough one because I was emotionally invested. Okay. After Otani went to the Dodgers, I mean, it seemed pretty clear after a while that that was looking like angels or the Dodgers and you know, who blames them? Who wants to leave? It's a nice place. I get it. You get all that money. So Otani's there, but then, then they make the trade for Tyler glass. Now, Resign him to, I believe, a what, five-year, $135, $140 million contract. And they go, oh, okay, Dodgers are done, I guess, right? Like, like that's a lot. Doing Otani and that, they, you know, they bulked it up. But then I'm still looking at the back end of their uh, starting five. And after Bobby Miller, I'm like, meh, you know? Like, you got Walker Bueller coming back from Tommy John surgery. Of course, not a sure thing, even though, you know, very talented pitcher. And they did still need depth. So, I mean, what, what's wild about this is, and this is where people are going to quickly go. It's one of the hilarious things about fandom, right? Mm-hmm. Is every, let's say, New York Mets, New York Yankees, San Francisco Giants, Chicago Cubs, uh, maybe less the Phillies, a couple other teams, all really, really, really wanted this guy, right? Like, and everybody seemingly ponied up upwards of 275 and 300 million dollars in their offers so what's going to be hilarious is now people quickly going well you know he's never thrown a pitch in the major leagues and you just gave him 325 million dollars i don't know glad it's not on my books you know (laughs) you know and it's gonna happen fast i even did it to myself um, uh, you know, in the thinking of like, oh, I really wanted this guy. How can I justify the fact that we didn't get him? Um, and it does seem like, you know, like the Yankees were like fully in the running till the very end. Um, I had a feeling that they had a better chance than the Mets, uh, essentially just on a track record of winning, you know, even though the Mets could could give more money, I think. Um, this guy really, from all accounts of Yamamoto, seemingly is just somebody who wants to win. So then you were really thinking Yankees or Dodgers. And I had it on some inside authority, Denny. Inside authority that the Yankees really thought they had a good chance on this. Like, like this wasn't uh this was certainly down to the wire, and the Yankees were definitely in the running. So what do I think about it? I mean it's hard to judge. I'm not a baseball scout. I don't scout Japanese baseball. It's hard for me to understand the exact, uh, you know, turnover between the two things. But you did just pay this guy $1 million more than Garrett Cole, which is frontline ace number one money. 
there is a substantial track record of successful Japanese and Korean pitchers coming over and doing very well and having long careers. Uh, there is not a track record of them being like frontline number one starters over the course of a 10 year contract. Um, and not to say that Yamamoto can't be the first, but uh it's it's risky of course like anything is when you're shelling out 325 million dollars but it's what you had to do to get them and now the dodgers one billion dollars later uh have the two (laughs) biggest coveted free agents and you know where does this set them up now right um how many world series let me ask you this question the next 10 years between the otani contracts yamamoto contracts how many world series do you have to appear in and win for this to be considered a success? You, you have to get four for this to be a success. If you're spending a billion dollars and you don't take at least 40% of the world series in that decade, it's kind of a failure, which is incredible standards to have to live up to. (laughs) Yeah. No shit. Four. Four. It's hard. It's hard winning a World Series, you know? And and we've seen this before with just these, like, you know, top-loaded teams. And, you know, the Dodgers have come close. Let's not forget that they're adding all these players to a core of Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, two of the top ten hitters already in baseball. Does this make – are the Dodgers the new evil empire? Oh, 100%. Like, like 100%. I mean, and this is one good thing for baseball, isn't it? This was good when the Yankees were that good. Everyone hated the Yankees. Anytime the Yankees were in town, there was just this fervor of like, yo, we let's take down these fucking assholes who just outspend us, take out all the money. You know what I mean? Like, and now the Dodgers are this like, I kind of like the fact that there's a team out there with a, a gigantic target on its back with, with the highest standards you could possibly get with a giant target on it back. I mean, that's good for baseball, isn't it? And the the thing that I love about this reemergence, because this isn't the first time the Dodgers have been some sort of evil empire. It's just the first time in most sports fans, uh, modern sports fans lifetime that this has kind of happened. So to see this and, you know, figuring out all like outsmarting the Yankees on like ways to like pocket money away and do all of that stuff. I love it. I also, you know, and we're talking about this. We led with this today. This is so good for the sport. This is a, it uh, wakens up the, I mean, the Dodger fans are passionate, but I think to grab attention in LA, big win for major league baseball. Yeah. hundred percent. And just to be clear, I did misspeak at some point. I believe I said it was a 10 year, $325 million contract. It is a 12 year, $325 million contract, which does keep them, you know, on the hook for longer, but also does bring Yamamoto's annual average down to 27 million, which is less than Coles, Verlander, DeGrom, Scherzer. It's less than James Harden. (laughs) (laughs) Significantly. I mean, listen, Dame Lillard gets paid twice as much as Yamamoto is going to make through his career. But yeah. Um, So I don't know, you know, on a, if you asked me 12 hours ago, I was nothing but super optimistic about this guy. Uh, really excited for him to come over. From everything I see, the right makeup. I think I spoke about it a couple weeks ago. He's got this nice, compact delivery. So even though he's a small guy, it's the kind of delivery where you see longevity. You know, um, and and I'm high on him. I think he's going to be a very good pitcher, but. You know, there's just that giant question mark, which is like, this is a person who has never pitched in the major leagues before. So it might be one of the biggest crapshoot contracts like we've ever seen, potentially. And the really the, the interesting thing about the baseball postseason, because you can't win the World Series without the postseason. No. And the way that the modern manager, as the rulings come down from the front office on starting pitching, you're only getting this guy for like five or, or six innings. You're not going complete games anymore. So it's like you yeah. kind of in like the modern framework. Where does this kind of fit in? I'm not so sure. Yeah. And then, you know, this is also the reason you're seeing like 
almost every solid seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy in baseball getting, you know, upwards of, you know, 12 to $15 million a year because of what you're talking about. Um, and that's something the Dodgers could certainly fortify as well. Like, like if there's anything you could look at on their squad right now, you know, I, I would look into their, to their bullpen to, to be like, how are you going to, how are you going to finish games for these guys? You know? Yeah. But let's look a little closer to home. What's next for the Yanks? And then also a, a, another team. Uh, Yamamoto was allegedly at Steve Cohen's house doing the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And now he doesn't get the guy. So what's next for the Mets as well? Listen, I also just watched uh, uh, that Dirty Money movie where Vincent D'Onofrio did a great Steve Cohen impression. And if I'm not rooting against Steve Cohen fully after watching that film, I don't know who would. D'Onofrio. Brilliant. He's great. But anyway. Um, you know, I think this puts the Yankees in a in a in an interesting spot. Um, I mean, let's not forget that the Yankees have already traded uh, a a bevy of pitching depth to get Juan Soto. So, as I do think, you know, and uh, we already got Alex Verdugo. So, I think as far as the Yankees go, uh, we're out on Bellinger. Got to be out on Bellinger, and got to be out on the. Uh, the big priced offensive guys, because I think that's been shirt up enough and you can do a little more towards the end of free agency. Now I really got to imagine that the Yankees are setting their sights on, you know, one of Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, um, you know, one of these, you know, the, the, the back tier guys who are, who are still looking for deals and seemingly are going to get fucking paid a lot. Like that's the one thing about, the way this free agency is trickling out that's really going to change things is you're watching some teams who are dying to spend money, right? Yeah. Like the Mets and the Cubs and the Giants and the Phillies, Red Sox, Yankees, they are dying to spend money. Like, so that means you're going to get some of these, these middle tier free agents right now are going to get massive contracts and there's going to be a bidding war for Blake Snell, even though he's, I think only thrown over like 160 innings, like once in his career. And, you know, um, there's not too many surefire guys, but the, the Yanks certainly need to solidify the depth that they, that they gave up when they, um, when they traded for Soto, uh, so I do think the Yankees are going to be right there in contention for almost every uh, frontline starter that that that's still available. And then what about in Queens? What what uh you know the Mets last last offseason spent a lot of money and then traded everybody at, at yeah. the deadline or, or so to speak, and now they're kind of dipping their toe back in the big money area again. I mean, I wonder with the Mets because. You know, all indications at the end of last season were not that we're punting on this year, but, you know, they're not extending Alonzo. You traded Verlander and Scherzer. You got some kids now coming up the pipe that look really good. And if you're looking at this team timeline wise, why would you spend 100, 200 million on frontline starter? Why would you like? So I have a feeling in a way that the Mets. Otani and Yamamoto are different stories, right? Those are generational type talents that you throw money at. Everyone throws money at. I mean, even, you know, uh, a billionaire like Steve Cohen, I'm pretty sure when someone like Yamamoto's in the running, it's more just like, yeah, I got my fucking money down the table too, okay? <laughs> like just as much as you. Like if he wants to come here, it's not going to be money that's the problem. Yeah. And, you know, so I think the offer will always be there for someone like that. Uh, but how seriously he ever wanted to come to the Mets, I'm not sure. So I do have a fee. I mean, I think the wise thing for the Mets to do is to not make huge free agency splashes right now. Um, I think like the, the way you ended last season, you got to continue that trajectory and not throw, let's use the phrase, dumb money at, uh, you know, at, at things that are there. Um so I think a lot of this is going to we're going to see like what Steve Cohen's ego actually looks like, because if he starts dropping the bomb on some of these mid-tier free agent contracts, I really do think that's an ego thing. That's a I missed out on all these other guys ego thing. But I do think it would be um, 
against the trajectory they started at the end of last season. And let's not forget, uh, David Stearns took over uh, baseball operations for the Mets, came over from the Milwaukee That's Brewers. Right. Yeah. And I, I was around that team like the first two years uh, when he took over in Milwaukee. And a, a, a lot of those, those small deadline moves to try to get a team into contention – and try to build up the farm system. That's that's how he did it here. And a lot of those guys panned out. But he's also not afraid to make like the, wow, that's a really smart trade. So that's, as we move forward into uh, closer to spring training, stuff like that, I, I would not be surprised to see them make like the smaller moves to try to build this thing out. Yeah, could see that. All right, let's move on to the NBA now, shall we? And Benny, we have not talked enough on this podcast about the Detroit Pistons. They had a massive opportunity to end their losing streak. They were not able to do so as as the Detroit Pistons were handed their 25th straight loss at the hand of the Utah Jazz. Kelly Olynyk went for 25 on Thursday night as they fell 119-111. Former now, Detroit Piston, Kelly Olynyk. Right, that's right. Former Detroit <laughs> Piston. Now, the record for this, now there, the, as we talk about all-time skids in the NBA, the 2010-2011 Cleveland Cavaliers and 2013-2014 yeah. 76ers share the record at 26. The 76ers hold the overall mark at 28. So before we even get into that game and what uh, Cade Cunningham had to, had to say, do you think that this Pistons team is on the level of that team, those teams as being this bad? You know, what's interesting as like a kind of a, you know, an exercise, I went ahead and, you know, look at like the 2011 Cavs, right? What was going mm -hmm. on with that team? And you look at this roster. I mean, I remember, I remember most of these guys because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> but I mean, you're looking at Mo Williams and and Varejao, um, yeah, Antoine Jameson when he's old, uh, Booby Gibson, Baron Davis at some weird stage of his career. Like this was a really bad team. You know what I mean? Like you don't look at that roster and go like, oh, that team should have won some games. You go ahead and look at the Pistons roster, and I'm seeing like Cade Cunningham, interesting young player, Jaden Ivey, interesting young player, uh, Asar Thompson, who's looking like he's the part. Uh, Duran is 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 solid when he's playing. Stewart is good. Uh, Bogdanovich, even though he doesn't want to be there, is still a good player. Yeah, Alec Burke sitting on the bench, like decent score. I'm not saying this is like uh you know a, a a playoff team by any stretch of the imagination but i do agree with Cade cunningham i, I saw his post-game conference you know his presser last night and he's like you know he's like i don't think we're two and 27 bad you know like i'm looking at the team and i kind of agree with him and if we both agree on that fact doesn't this fall on monty williams the highest paid coach in the nba a little bit a little bit you know, now, I, yeah, the interesting thing, and, and I think that this was completely out, out of school when the Detroit Pistons fans were chanting, sell the team, sell the team af after the loss. But um, I'm, I'm really struggling to see the, the disconnect here. Is it it, it has to be one uh, of, of the two here. Uh, did, was Monty Williams propped it up by Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns situation or is Cade Cunningham and this young crew? not up to snuff it has to be one of the two it can't be both i mean but you like like i'm watching this season and i've seen Jaden ivy in and out of the starting lineup like four or five times already i've seen asar thompson in and out of the starting lineup a number of times already um like i i don't think he's doing a great job i don't know why killian hayes was sitting there like why are you still trying with killian hayes yeah. like what are you doing and I think, you know, maybe this is a classic, you know, conundrum of a coach who's like, hey, listen, like, I I don't need to see Jaden Ivey 30 minutes a night if he's not ready. I'm going to play Killian Hayes, who's like slightly, you know, running the offense more like I want it, even though that's not what the front office wants. So I think that's the risk you run, too, when you bring in, you know, a coach with some some pedigree and you you give him all that money which kind of makes him unfireable especially for the first couple seasons and then you can't really hold him to the fire when you're like hey 
Like, get fucking Killian Hayes out of the starting lineup. Like, why? Like, why would we even do that right now? As far as, like, fire the GM, I mean, I don't know. Like, I go through this. I do think not trading Bogdanovich at the end of last year was probably a massive mistake because he doesn't want to be there. He's on a two-win team right now. His value is less than it was last year, um, but still pretty high. I mean, they should definitely move him. But I think like if you were to put Bogdanovich on the trade market at the end of last season, you're may- you're maybe getting like two first rounders for him because um, people were desperate for that kind of player. So I think that's a little bit of a mistake. But when I look through the last few years, I mean, I think they drafted OK. Like yeah. like Kate Cunningham was like nobody scoffed at that draft pick. That was fine. Duran was fine. Ivy was fine. Ivy even dropped to them, right? Because uh, uh, they thought Ivy was going to go like like three or four, and then Kings take Keegan Murray, and Ivy almost like fell to them at five. It almost seemed like a gift at the time. Uh, you know, Killian Hayes was what like a seven pick or something, but in a in a fairly thin draft. I mean, everybody missed on Halliburton anyway, so I don't really like kill the GM on that. I got to say, like what I'm seeing right now. With the kind of talent on that roster, I, I'm giving the most blame to Monty Williams at the moment. Um, and shit, if they don't take one of the next two against Brooklyn, like Brooklyn's hit a ceiling. We don't have to get into the Nets right now. You know, I could talk about it all day long. Um, <clears throat> but Brooklyn's hit a ceiling, and I could see Detroit taking one or two from this back-to-back coming up with the Nets. I do think it's going to stop. Um but if it doesn't with this Nets, like it, it could go easily to like 30, 35 games looking at the schedule. Yeah, because then after there, they go up to Boston, then they have have the Raptors and the Rockets and then back back to the Jazz. And then it doesn't get any easier from there. So I think that this is way more of a statement about just how good the league is this year. Top to bottom. I mean, you you, you have teams like orlando that are thriving a team like houston was kind of dead last year that has had a a resurgence here uh so yeah i i think they're a good team but maybe the nba just got better i don't know yeah i mean but you also still you also have within the first like month of the season a good like six teams who are fucking dead to rights already you know And one of those was the Memphis Grizzlies, but they got their guy back. Oh, was we're going was, was now was okay. Okay. apparently okay. now they're back. Okay, apparently according to John Morant, now the guys are playing with energy and they feed off my energy, and now we're back. Uh, that came true the other night when Ja got the game winner for them. Um, a a, a guy who came back from a uh, suspension from the NBA, twenty five game suspension. Uh, Grizzlies six and nineteen, so that's like I said was, but now they're back. Um, but here's here, you know, it gets kind of tricky to enjoy this John Morant return, yeah. in, in in my opinion. Uh, just given the you blow it, guy hasn't seemed to still learn. He, he his, his teammates are kind of acting like, oh yeah, like they they did you dirty. So have you been able to enjoy John Morant's game winner and his return for Memphis? I enjoyed the game winner. Enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed yeah. watching him play in the fourth quarter, like I always have. I love watching John Moran play yeah. basketball. It's awesome. It's an awesome experience. And he's maybe like in the top three of American born basketball players that I'd like to watch these days. So that's never been the question. And I was expecting him to come back really bouncy. He hasn't played a game yet. Like, you know, he doesn't have his wind, but like, you know, he's bouncy. So that whole part, I'm rooting for it. I'm here for it. I like to see Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain kind of like, you know, re- re- revitalize. Like, it's nice to see. And then the fucking kid opens his mouth again. You know, honestly, like, it's this whole, like, this woe is me thing with this dude. I just can't fucking get over. He's been doing it this whole time. And I think like someone like Adam Silver is probably just watching, being like, oh, game winner, great. And then just fuck. Because he's basically acting in a way that like these 25 games taught me nothing. I find them to be nothing but an injustice. Now, granted, it was long. It was long. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'll, I'll take that. And I think like it was intentionally long to keep him out of all NBA shit. And to kind of 
punt Memphis's season, you know, like, like I think this was a real, like finally Adam silver, like coming down on somebody to try to make a point and shit. It failed. Listen to his fucking dad chatter away again, talking about how like, you know, something dirty got done to him. And then, you know, I got receipts and stuff like this. Like, like people have been anything anybody has said in the last like few months is just like totally justified. And you're watching this team go in the fucking gutter. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with it. Um, it, it, it immediately went from like a story of someone. I can't wait to come back. I'm kind of rooting for Memphis to come back. I think this will be fun immediately to like, kind of like, nah, yeah, I don't know. Kind of still yeah. fuck this dude a little bit, like Jesus. And I've I've heard that people try to make this like the comparison to like AI and everything, and and how people felt about uh, Alan Iverson at the time that he he was doing his thing. But there's like a big difference between like you know like how you're like dressing and and the commissioner coming down for you, than like waving a gun on Instagram and then being like, oh, what cr-? because when uh he, they they had his dad with my guys on. NBA radio uh shout out Justin Termini and Eddie Johnson and he was like what crime did he commit and it's like well they're just maybe not a crime but being stupid and not knowing the platform that you have (laughs) exactly I mean listen like like I said earlier in this thing like I think 25 games was heavy for someone who like didn't hurt someone you know what I mean didn't like 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 I do It, it is heavy but still like you gotta just eat fucking crow for like a little bit. And you know, you did bring up Allen Iverson and I was around when Allen Iverson played, I was already a fucking basketball junkie. He did have a similar thing in the sense that he was just like wildly unapologetic and it aged well. But at the time people fucking hated Allen Iverson. He did. He had like this fucking solid group of people who just like, stand for ai hard but then like seriously most we're coming out of like the larry bird motherfucker (laughs) era like people hated Allen iverson there was a whole racial component to it there was a whole thing so i mean it is it is somewhat in line like like people don't know what to do with this guy all we know is like when he's playing you know he's he's that fucking good and and honestly i mean his ceiling because of you know the way he does some other things on the court and he's kind of a true point guard is higher than Iverson's you know he's a lot more like a prime Derrick Rose to me like someone who has that kind of ceiling where he he really can drag a team on his back and he's that good but you know you talk about like you come in and you're like yeah I just want to do it for the team and this and this and team I'm like listen regardless if 25 games was too much or not you still had to serve them and your team, when you came back, was fucking six and nineteen. And now they're eight and nineteen. And yeah, sure, like there's some optimism there. But like, you win your first two game back, good for you. But you're literally still uh, what six games out of the ten seed to even get into the play-in. You're eight games out of the actual playoffs, um, and you need to in order to 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 jump into the playoffs, you need one of the golden state warriors, the Lakers, the Suns, the Rockets, the Pelicans, the Mavericks to just completely tank and get beneath them. I just still don't see it happening. So I do think it's a nice story right now. You can get all chesty, but you know, you're going to lose three games in a row in a couple weeks. And it's really going to put you out of the whole running. And you know, at some point, like when are you just going to hear the right things? Like, I I don't know. I don't know if you ever will. He's just might be that kind of guy, I guess. And I don't think, you know, we you brought up how the Allen Iverson stuff aged very well. This not going to age well, especially if if they want him and the next guy we're about to talk about to be the face of USA basketball. And that's, that's right. Zion Williamson. And, and and we had a story coming out of New Orleans this week about his contract. And mm. people were stoked when uh, the Pelicans were able to extend Zion Williamson's contract in J- July 2022. They're like, they finally secured uh, their first round pick. He's staying. The future looks great. But since then, Zion Williamson has missed significant chunks uh, during his uh, his first three years in the NBA, including the entire 
2022 season. Um, as a result, we've had some changes in his contract based off of health. So let's let's kind of run through some of these yeah. real quick. Uh, last season, Zion uh, missed fewer. Uh, he needed to miss fewer than 23 games to avoid uh, this for his 2025 2026 2027 those seasons uh those have become not non-guaranteed because of how much time he missed last year the interesting thing uh zion williamson had to pass a weigh-in checkpoint during the 2024 2025 season and his body fat percentage and his weight must add up to no more than 295 uh that and now um and then the season after that had to move uh, to 20% for the next season. He has not met those. Um, this uh-huh. this goes back to stuff that, that we also talked about, about, you know, reputation of his uh, being able to quote, eat the table in, in new Orleans and stuff like that. So Benny, what's going on with Zion here? It's hard to say. I mean, I don't know. Like, like we talked about it a little last week and kind of compared it to, Glenn big baby Davis. Like the, like there are, there is historical precedence for really talented guys who couldn't get out of their own way. But Glenn big baby Davis was never as talented as Zion. I mean, yeah. like, like we've watched Zion do physical things that are, that are remarkable. Like when you first got into the league and you see a guy, his size with that second bounce on offensive rebounds and stuff, you're like, Whoa, where did that come from? Um, and that's what's scaring me for Zion is like that part of his game is seemingly dulled down. And and when I'm watching a guy his size even go through the year getting as few rebounds as he does, as few blocks, uh, not being an impact in like certain types of parts of the game. I'm not saying Zion's like a bad player and he's not going to have a place in the NBA. He certainly might. But we might start having to readjust his ceiling. And because of that, you're going to have to readjust his numbers. And New Orleans, in this case, I think, even though it sounds kind of shitty, because to put like fat guy stuff into someone's contract, like just makes me squirm a little, just like hearing about it, because I don't know, it just sucks. But you're also, you're a professional athlete and you're paid to be in shape and you're paid a lot of money. So I kind of get the, the knock on it too. So if I'm New Orleans and I, you know, they have a lot of talent on that team. You know, you you have Trey Murphy dying for minutes, Dyson Daniels dying for minutes, like all these people dying for minutes and Zion's still making a good impact. But is he making like a twenty five, thirty million dollar impact? I don't know. Like does Zion have to to change his game? Like like would he be better served? Uh, taking on more of a Draymond Green type of role since he's not a great perimeter shooter and really focusing on defense and rebounding and putting his body in the right places. But Draymond Green's one of the smartest players to ever grace the NBA. So I don't know if like Zion has that either. So I, I think it's a sad situation. But the one thing is like New Orleans is winning. They're five games over 500. They're a good team. When Zion is out there with the full complement of of Ingram and McCollum and Valanchunas uh, and, you know, Trey Murphy and like, you know, all this this great uh, uh, depth they have on the bench, you know, you don't want to make a move like like you still kind of are in a position where you want to hold out on this guy. You're not in a position where you have to like like jump and make a big thing. So he's still young and I think they're still going to try, you know, like you can't give up on it yet. But I do think as a fan, when you're watching him play most games this season and watching him fill up those minutes, I am starting to readjust my, my, my expectation on the ceiling of Zion Williamson. And it, it is interesting though, that he is able to win back some of this. If he plays at least 41 games in the 2024, 2025 season, uh, it goes up 40% becomes guaranteed. If he plays 51, it goes up to 60%. And right. if he plays 61, uh, his entire salary becomes guaranteed. So it's not like they took it away and he can't get it back. That's right. But you know, Neil, Neil, Neil chiming in saying the Eddie Lacey of the NBA. All right. Good cop. Good I cop. love it. Oh, my goodness. You know, you know, you know I, I hate to see just as, as a sidebar. Yeah. So the, the New Orleans Pelicans have 
these uh, Crescent City city jerseys that every team has. Yeah. Uh, the amount of photoshops on Instagram I, I had seen of Crescent Roll and then you oh, just Zion Williamson. Y'all are bad for that. But. No, that's the thing that sucks about it is like the kind of problem Zion's dealing with is something like we still have so little sensitivity for. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's It's like another part of culture like we haven't caught up yet. Um, you know, if, if 20 years ago, some player wrote a tweet saying like, I'm sad, he would have been called a sissy, you know, he would have been this now you'll get links for like mental health counseling and people will actually try to help you out. You know, like, like I do think I brought it up last time. I brought it that food to some people is a disease. It's Mm -hmm. a problem. It's a drug. And there's a lot of fucking companies and smart people out there, you know, creating something they call a bliss point to fucking fuck with your tongue and make you want the worst shit. So it's hard What they're asking a guy if he has a real addiction to food and a problem. It is hard. And I would love to see a little more compassion, you know, like when you look at this, like as an actual problem someone has. Because skinny guys just don't fucking get this. You know, they just walk by food. They leave plates half open. Like, you know, it's crazy. Why would you ever, you know? <laughs> and then Neil also chimes in with one more question. <laughs> He's like, why is this any different than James Harden? Oh, Neil. Because J- Zion doesn't have the step back three. Even when James Harden was fat, he could still push off and he could give you eight threes in a game. He's got quick hands. Zion's whole thing, it falls apart if he's too big. But I love that. I love that. James Harden did have a couple. He usually gets fat when he's trying to play his way out yeah. of a city. Like that's that's Zion very much wants wants yeah. wants to stay there. Harden that... does it on purpose. He's just like, oh fuck it, I want out of Philly. Call Papa John's. <laughs> Between this and uh, Ja, you know, I I think the, the narrative, or you know, the the. Allen Iverson comparison, right? Where, where yeah. We're like that age better over 20 years. Yeah. Uh, this fighting for Zion Williamson, that's going to age better over 20 years. So. It is free Zion, free Zion <laughs> from New Orleans. Get him, get him. This is the trick. You do have to trade him. Yeah. What city in the NBA is the worst fucking food? Or well, because New Orleans has the best. Maybe. Yeah, he so, needs to be in LA, man. He needs sweet green twice a day. He needs green juices. He needs mm-hmm. yoga, man. He needs to go to Richard Jefferson's yoga studio. In, yeah, but remember, you're Hawaii. always three blocks away from the best fucking burrito you've ever had. That's true. Or it's burger. Dangerous. It's <laughs> oh. dangerous. Or Portland, maybe. Yeah, Portland? maybe the Northwest. Yeah, I think you no, eat the, the best but, in but, the Northwest. But then you got voodoo donuts. I don't know. Anywhere in the Midwest is out. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's just Mid- tough. Charlotte. Barbecue. Oh, damn it. Yeah. And he's and and he's close to somewhere I don't in know. Florida, maybe. Let's get yeah, him on maybe. some fish. But then, but then we get him down there in in South Beach, and he's drink, eating all that Cuban food. But, you know, this is more Orlando. This he is, needs to go to Orlando. <laughs> Don Chula's Steakhouse. Yeah. All right, let's get all out right. of this. What's all right, let's let's preview Christmas Day real quick. Please, please. Uh, we got a couple matchups here. Um, we have Bucks at New York Knicks. This will be the 56th time the Knicks have played on Christmas Day, dating back to 1947. Uh. You have Giannis coming in at an MVP level once again, averaging mm-hmm. 30.6 uh, points, 11.1 rebounds, and also having Damian Lillard. And then Jalen Brunson's going to have a lot to deal with. So uh, Bucks, Knicks at noon. I like this one a lot. Oh, I love this game. The Knicks are Knicks are rolling. Bucks are rolling. This is, and and they're like the the heavyweight teams of the the East that are going to like to body up and and yeah. bit around, but. Giannis is on a damn mission right now, and I could see him popping into the garden and putting up a nice for you. I think this is like, you know, I know you didn't want to hear it a few weeks ago when I told you the Bucks are putting it together, but they're putting it together. And I think this might be a nice kind of come out publicly game like, hey, we're still here by Lillard and Giannis really showing out at the garden. So you think that this could be the equivalent of when you know Giannis dunked all over MSG and that kind of put him on the map? This could be the uh, you know the Dame Giannis version of getting himself yeah. on the map. Yeah, I think we undervalue that about Giannis. He is a competitive motherfucker. That's true. And he does not like the fact that the, the popular conception early in the season was that the Bucks are no longer the contender to the Celtics and the uh, you know and the Sixers. So. 
Yeah. Now Giannis, only, he's going nuts. If only Adrian Griffin and Joe Pronte could just get out of his way. That'd be cool. All right. What else? All right. All right uh, we have a matchup of the last two NBA champions, Golden State Warriors at Denver Nuggets. Jokic on MVP pace yet again. Chris Paul will be back on Christmas Day coming off the bench for Golden State. Um, but it's Jamal Murray. But it's if Jamal Murray is a point guard, that's what we're talking about. It will be a Merry Christmas for Nuggets fans. Benny, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a it's a Steph game. Yeah, I'm not ruling Steph out in a game like this. Like, you know, sure. On paper, I'd like to say Draymond's still out. Warriors are going to choke it. But Steph Curry's on the Warriors and Steph Curry is a superstar and he plays on Christmas. and He's probably going to do something crazy. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think Denver takes in the end, but but Curry's going to make it interesting. Big game for the Jokic brand here. You know, obviously there's like the finals, but playing on Christmas, that's a big one. He has uh, a brand new hotels.com commercials out. He's at the Roosevelt in Hollywood walking around with a goat. You notice he's dressing better this year. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking sharp. I'm liking his sweaters and the overcoats. Like he's, he's, he's putting it together. Jokic knows how to be a superstar now. You put the wife on camera once during the finals, and she's like, honey, we got to do better. We got to get this together. Come on. Your hair is bad enough. Let's get the clothes (laughs) right. Celtics at Lakers, 5 p.m. on Christmas, the latest installment of the NBA's greatest rivalry. This is just the third time the Lakers have met on Christmas and the first since 2008. LeBron James and the Lakers coming off their in-season tournament win, but the Boston Celtics, man, East leading 21-6. and Uh, absolute dream for a Christmas matchup. Benny, what do you like here? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think Boston's going to win. Um, and I think they're trying to make a statement. Um, and the reason I think that though, is like, I hate this matchup for the Lakers backcourt. This has nothing to do with LeBron or Anthony Davis. Um, you know, uh, white and holiday are turning into kind of the smartest and kind of, I don't know. Just they're fucking with people. They're fucking with dumb teams. And I, I don't want to see what D'Angelo Russell looks like when these two get their hands on him. So uh, I have a feeling Boston's going to come in and take this one. 76ers traveling down the South beach to play at 8 PM. Eric Spolstra has never lost on Christmas day, eight and O career all time. And the heat are historically 11 and two on Christmas highest winning percentage of any team. Um, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, eyes on Tyrus Maxey, trying to create a big problem on the Christmas stage. Benny, what do you like here? Another good game. I mean, Miami is tough to to predict right now because, you know, how many games this year have seen, you know, Hero, Bam, and Butler on the floor at the same time, you know, um, so it's, it's a little tough to determine, but fucking Embiid is rolling. Uh, and yeah, I like, I like the Sixers on the, the back end of this game. I love it too. Wrapping out the day Mavericks at Phoenix suns, 10 30 PM. The NBA closes out it with Luca, with Kyrie, with Kevin Durant, with Devin Booker, all the star power fit the print. Um, and maybe a potential Southwest ish rivalry. Benny, what do you like here? 10 30, you know, uh, this is like a classic. I think we're going to see. I don't think Kyrie's playing, um, you know, like he's been out uh, and he might come back for this game. I'm not quite sure. You know, obviously that plays a huge factor in who wins this game. But to me, this I think we're going to see like Luca play like 45 minutes and put up one of his like 42, 14 and 16. And they're still going to lose. That's what I think's going to happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great to see. Uh, it's a big Kevin Durant Christmas spotlight game. Yeah. I love seeing him on, on the I don't holidays, think we're getting but, uh, Kyrie Beal's yeah. still out. Like this isn't the full picture. I kind of like the early games on Christmas a little yeah. bit. 10, 10 30 is always the, uh, okay. I've, I've, I've been a little bit overserved, yeah. and now let me sleep. Games. Now I'm stuffed. I'll fall asleep by the second quarter. Yeah. From a fancy basketball perspective. Love the fact that Christmas is on Monday. Great way to start the week rather than close out this week's matchups on Sunday. That's right. Struce juice coming in hot. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, Benny, before we get out of here real quick, there's a couple of cultural stories that we got to get into please, today. Please, come on. Jake Gyllenhaal. You know we're cultural guys. Cultural guys. Jake Gyllenhaal is taking 
a tip from the late great Patrick Swayze and bringing a brand new brawn uh, to the Roadhouse, I guess you can call it franchise, right? And now. Amazon Sizzle Reel released on Thursday included a glimpse at Jalen Hall as in Roadhouse, um, a remake of the 1989 action movie that we have been highly speculative o- over the years here at the tune-up. Benny, luckily for you, you know, the good folks at Amazon came over to us and were like, hey, do you want a, a little sneak peek at it? And I was like, absolutely, 100%. Thanks, yeah, Jeff Bezos, thank you for this. And Thanks, here it is. Oh, I just slapped you. Are you all right? Shut up. <laughs> Seven seconds or less right here. Uh, but shout out to that, I guess. I don't know. I don't. Listen, this is what I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was going to bring to the role, and I don't like it. Oh, okay. So there's a little bit to unpack here, right? You know Roadhouse means a lot to me. Yeah. There might be only five movies I've ever seen more than Roadhouse. So one thing we have to remember, and we go through this a lot when we deal with remakes, Roadhouse was not taken seriously when it came out. We have to remember that. We always go back in time and think like, oh, but Swayze and it's so much fun. No, it was it was silly. It was silly even then. The adults knew it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, people who are going to see Coppola movies were not like taken in Roadhouse and actually caring. So that's the first thing to consider is the fact that like I don't need the new Roadhouse to be legitimate. It needs to be fun, right? Like step number one. Now, you hear about the story here, and Gyllenhaal is like a retired UFC fighter who goes to Florida Keys and becomes a bouncer. Now, it's like the Florida Keys thing I like because, you know, you had a, a pretty funny version of a redneck in the original Roadhouse, like like big boy with the fucking overalls and like, you know, that whole thing going on in that movie. Cause you were out in like the dusty plains. Um, so now you're going to get like Florida, man, shitty Florida dudes. You know what I mean? Getting beat up. Like it's going to be really easy to uh, create like a villain and an evil side that you really want to get the shit kicked out of, Yeah, which is a trick to an action movie. So you have the heels all set. You got a fucking bunch of Florida dudes, which is going to be easy to watch get beat up. Uh, Hall clearly knows how to fight, right? Like he learned how to box for Southpaw. Um, you know, he, he takes in UFC stuff. He trains. So I think the actual like, remember, like Patrick Swayze was not a fighter. Patrick right. Swayze was a dancer, a lover. <laughs> he is a dancer and yeah. a lover and like a theater guy, like like. Patrick Swayze played tough because he was jacked and he was good at that. But like, there's a whole nother side to it. So this is where I'm hoping since Gyllenhaal has proven himself as a very capable actor over the years, he he takes a lot of funky stuff, but he also like has put in a lot of like really, really great performances over the years. And I hope he's smart enough to bring the romance of Dalton. You know what I mean? That is what I need to see in the new Roadhouse. Like, if I don't have one scene of him, like, eating an apple and reading a book on his own, shirtless, yeah, I'm not pleased. If I don't see him really romancing, if he doesn't say, be nice, and if he's, like, a total just over-the-top tough guy and doesn't take on this romantic theatrical side of Patrick Swayze, then I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. But I think, I think the setup to the movie looks good. And the big caveat to me is Hall going to be sexy enough. He's because not. The, Cause He's that's not. a big part of Roadhouse. Yeah. Big part. Of and Roadhouse. the, the, the one thing that I think the producers and Amazon are discrediting you need this to crush with 18 to 35 women and because of the, well, the whole Taylor Swift stuff no because Joan Hall had the uh, thing with Taylor Swift she wrote a 10 minute song about how much Jake Joan Hall sucks they whoa. lost 18 to 35 so he's the heel he's yeah. the heel already yeah so maybe he's just going full heel in the movie he should know. have been like the actual bad guy in the movie but the problem is you can't replace patrick swayze one-on-one they broke the mold when they made him right so anybody 
you know, you think of like the younger actors that could come to this. You think of like a Jake Jacob Alordi, you know, uh, who's having his, his his moment, stuff like that. But no, nobody kind of brings the sensitivity that you mentioned. There's nobody out there doing it today. Maybe that's where you, Benny, can come in. And well, be like... and this is what I'm. T- this is why, to me, yes, I will take the job. By the way, <laughs> but this is where, to me, the jury is still out because, as Neil mentions, Gyllenhaal, and like I said, he has a precedence. It's true of good films. You know what I mean? He has a precedence of going places we don't expect him to go. So maybe he knows to get romantic here. You know, like like I hope so. I hope so. Me too. Me too. All right. Let's let's bring this thing home. This Christmas episode, this holiday special of a, you know, we, we like to do oddities from time to time. Oh, yeah. One Kentucky family, you know, speaking of like roadhouse country, one Kentucky family got a little something extra when they picked up their Christmas tree this year. That's right. There was a owl in it. And then the owl was in the home for about four days, which is unbelievable that how how, how you don't notice that as you're putting up ornaments or, or lights and stuff like that. But Benny, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to yeah. uh, talk, talk trees. Well, yeah. Off. Where do you stand on the, the great mahogany? Do you do, do you want to? Uh, <laughs> I had to do it as soon as you you took the drink. The great mahogany of, uh, of of the Christmas tree. Do you like it living or do you like it fake? This is interesting. So now, as we discussed earlier, uh, you know I'm a good sport Jew on Christmas. Give me a tree. Give me the stuff. Let's do it. And one of the things that really bothered me when I first got into this was like, wait, I love all this stuff. But I do believe trees are living things and we're murdering one to have it live in our house and dress it up for like three weeks and then throw it out. Um, I do go to uh, Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan's house and I feed my old trees to his goats now. So at least they go to a good place afterwards. But, you know, after a lot of research, um, you know, uh, buying a fake tree filled with metals and plastics and things like that are no better for the environment. Than, uh, than reharvesting trees year after year. And I did attempt to replant a Christmas tree. So I am such a hippie that I did buy a potted Christmas tree, dressed it up, and attempted to keep it alive and put it back outside. The thing they don't tell you is this doesn't really work in New Jersey because it's cold. Um, so the only way that really actually flies is if you know, you literally have a tree in your house for like two days and then you happen to have a week in late December where you can still get something in the ground, which is pretty fucking hard. So, you know, I do uh, buy trees now. Um, (laughs) There you go, Neil. Sorry. Uh, I do buy trees now and I try to buy them from places that, you know, we know that they're replanting and regenerating. There's a lot of farms that you can get the promise that uh, that 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 this is a, a sustainable practice. So I have given in to using a live tree. Neil, I'm sorry to break this to you. I am fake all the way. <laughs> I'm gonna have a tinder box in my house. I am not gonna have to go to like the 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 rest of my neighbors if I'm the one responsible for trying to burn down the neighborhood. There are row houses here. I can yeah. let all of Jersey City oh, ablaze. Yeah. And every time I see somebody walking down the street with their thing, I'm just like, I hope your house isn't connected to this one because <laughs> I don't. There are too many irresponsible people for us to be having live trees in 2023, 2024. Usually, the people on the street carrying trees. Should be, you have blood on your hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're killing them. the environment. You're killing them. You know, the city's a whole different bag of nuts, man. You know, like like even the fact that like trying to get a bevy of fucking pine needles out of your house when you oh. live in the city is a mu- much different prognosis. Yeah. So I completely I completely uh, agree with you in the city. It's not not the worst idea. <laughs> Plus, my dad was a firefighter, so we never had a, a real tree growing, growing <sighs> have, up. Have you had uh, many cautionary tales of Christmas trees catching on fire? Is this is this why? Not us, but I mean, like when when you go to as many fires of Christmas trees catching on fire, like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is not as far fetched as a lot of people would like you to believe. So yeah, and that was just a cat. Now we know that there's <laughs> owls in there. So fuck. So so yeah, you know, lifetime in the safety service business. Growing up, 
it gets in your head. But what like can I you say? Do? I like to live on the edge, baby. That's right. All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com. Two P's now. We got we missed out on so many stories today. And the entertainment sphere, it's dying. Um, <laughs> Paramount, that whole thing's going away. We have Roman Empire remains dug up today. Maybe that would have been interesting. We'll get to it next. But time. if you want to not miss out on any of the stuff that we're talking about. Uh, you can subscribe to the tune up YouTube channel at tune up HQ. Follow us on all the social platforms at the tune up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, all of it. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz. Ben, you got anything else? Everybody love everybody. A lot of shit going on in the world. Try to enjoy your people for a couple days. It's important. And uh, yeah, let's put love out into the world. Spreading cheer for all to hear. The show has ended. Go in peace. You have been listening to and watching the tune-up. Bye, Neil. Bye.